another reason because of the pandemic, you're you're see, we are seeing a decline, you know, among our clients and also caregivers, our staff, and also we as humans, you know, we're going through a lot of mental, you know, uh, challenges, m- mental health issues. It's because no matter how how much we are on the device, we as humans, we like to control our movement, our thoughts, and at the same time, we breathe life into each other. And it's so important to you know have think of all those elements when you start designing the building. Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I'm a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to another live recording of the Nursing Home Podcast, the podcast that explores and shares with our listeners and viewers a very open and transparent, authentic view of what is actually going on in the nursing home world. And we're trying to explain things in simple terms that everybody can understand, try to remove some of the fluff and get down to business. Um, Today's episode, uh, actually started out from a LinkedIn post that I saw uh, of a new design of nursing homes, and I shared it on LinkedIn, and the thing really blew up. And apparently, it's something that was an enigma, some, something that really doesn't exist in the space. And I'm really glad that uh, the CEO of the Lantern Group, Gene McKesh, was uh, kind enough to lend me some of his time and come on the show today to discuss it. So, Gene, welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast. Thank you, Shmuel. Thanks for having me. Yes, um, the the it's it's really a pleasure. Uh, Seeing that article, and I think you shared it on LinkedIn, or someone shared it on LinkedIn, um, and just the the pictures are really breathtaking, um, and it was really a, just an amazing thing to imagine that there's uh, there's a way of living and designing nursing homes that can be so really so beautiful and something that can can really change our perception. Of what nursing what nursing homes really look like, and I'm just going to share here for a moment um, uh, of what it actually does look like. So over here, you can see that we have the picture. It looks like it looks like you're outside. It looks like there's sunlight and shadows. Uh, the outside patios. I mean, it, it looks like the ceiling was made somehow to look like the natural sky. And again, I'm just looking through these pictures. I don't know the full intricacies of what went on here. Um, if you don't mind, can you share with us? Uh, firstly, how you got into this industry to begin with, um, and then uh, onto this design project. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm an occupational therapist by background, uh, so uh, that's how I got into the space. I uh, worked in long-term care uh, for a while and uh, was the compliance director for a very large nursing home chain. At one point, I had about 120 nursing homes over 12 states that I was responsible for. Um, during that time, you know, I, I thought I knew uh, a bit about um, elderly care. <clears throat> when I started working directly with my clients and families, that's when I realized I had no clue. <clears throat> and uh, yes, I got a, 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 an undergraduate uh, degree, a master's, a double master's. I also have an MBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I started engaging with them, I realized that there's so much I need to learn from them. And uh, I was in my 20s, and at that time, I began to um, kind of like formulate and realize that, you know, the folks that I'm seeing, I'm caring, I'm treating, um, they remind me of my old age. You know, is this where I want to be? <clears throat> when I'm 70, well, when you're 20, you think in your in 20s, you think 60 years old. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I thought maybe, you know, when I turn 60, 65, you know, is this where I want to be? Or should I create a, a space um, that would be uh, that would enable me to just not live but thrive? Um, so I started doing a lot of research, and uh, and I think that there's a different be- difference between living, surviving, and thriving. Uh, and I just felt that we as humans, no matter how old we are, um, 
we should never stop thriving. Um, it, it is, uh, it, it's so important for us to move forward, you know, both mentally, socially, emotionally, and physically also. Um, one of the things I realized as, as I was beginning to learn, you know, from my clients, you know, my 90-year-olds, my 95-year-olds, um, I just felt that they, what they were looking for is companionship, someone they can talk to, someone they, you know, people would sit down, you know, they can, they, 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 they want someone to listen to them. And I think that's a, that's a pretty basic uh, uh, need. And, uh, you know, I just felt that as a therapist, I'm like going from patient to patient to patient, you know, getting things done. And I, I, the, the 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour I have with them was extremely valuable. How can I incorporate that during my therapy sessions with them uh, to, to make sure that they're not only they're loved, but they're very valued. Uh, it's very important. I think there's a difference between one of the things I realized in life was, uh, you know, what is very important to us. We always, you know, tend to say that I like to be loved. Um, but based on my research, I found that there's more than love. It's actually, you know, being valued. Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are. So um, I, started, I started looking at different environments. And, uh, and even in my own life, uh, when I go on vacation, you know, when I, when I go down to Florida, when I'm down uh, by the beach or by the pool, I'm much more relaxed. And, uh, and I said, wait, there, there has to be something that makes me feel that way. And, and, I, and I started really looking into uh, the environment. Uh, there are, you know, when you walk into a spa, you feel a lot more relaxed. Uh, you walk into a room that's uh, uh, filled with a lot of noise. Uh, it kind of annoys you. Um, so the more and more uh, I started studying and researching, I realized that we as a human, our attitude, our posture, the way we engage, the way we perceive um, every one of it is directly influenced by our five senses. So what we see, what we hear, what we touch, what we smell, what we taste determines our attitude towards ourselves, the way we feel about ourselves, um, our thought process, and also the way we would engage with uh, people around us. So that was uh, pretty much uh, uh, one of the main factors that kind of drove me to uh, start looking into building designs where I felt that I could create opportunities for people to uh, relate, engage, interact with the environment and also remove, also receive the, the stimulus from the environment to shape one's behavior and attitude. Okay, I mean, th that's fantastic on so many different levels. Um, and I want to hear the next step in a moment, but just to a couple of points. I used to tell my activities staff, which sometimes are viewed at as, you know, on the bottom of, you know, of maybe least important in the building. And you try to find, you know, a nurse's, a nurse has a college age sibling friend or something, you know, come in, do activities, see what nursing homes all, are all about. I used to tell them that they're the most important, and no offense to the therapy people. Sorry, Gene. <laughs> um, I would tell them that they're the most important people in the building. And I would explain to them that everyone else's job is to make sure that the patients or the residents live. Your job is to give them a reason to live. You're, you're giving them life itself, which is kind of similar to what you said, is that somebody is 85 years old, 90 years old, unfortunately, sometimes 45 years old whatever age they are, and they're living in a long-term care setting or even a acute care, in a post-acute care setting, whatever it is, they're in the nursing home. They want to feel that there's a reason for them to exist. They want, And they want to be able, like you said, companionship is such a basic human need. That's something that is so missing. We have X number of nursing hours, X number of eight hours, therapy hours per patient day and all the numbers, how we calculate this stuff. You know, therapy does provide a unique opportunity for one-on-one -on -one time, right? Or sometimes, right, when you have a one-on-one -on -one session, which sometimes cannot be had almost with any other staff member. That's not what they're there for, right? They're there for, you know, the, the, the care that they provide. But that's, a, you know, that is a need that enables the residents to thrive uh, without, uh, which unfortunately is not always being met. 
I mean, and your your other point also is we know that when we're in different physical environments, we react completely differently. Your other-centered thinking is not, you know, that's great for me. Let me go on vacation. Forget about the residents and the nursing home. Then come back and say, okay, listen, I'm young and healthy. This is what I could do. Maybe this is what you guys did. But now you guys got to pay the price of being old. You're like, no, just the opposite. I don't need to go to Florida to make that happen. Let me bring Florida to these residents. And it doesn't mean that they necessarily enjoyed Florida. But let, let me make changes to their five senses where they are so that their quality of living will skyrocket today without having to take them. Because that's not practical. And it's not the right thing to do. And they shouldn't be going around and traveling. And these things, you know, once in a while, a family member may arrange something. But for the most part, they're there because they need to be there. But why can't it? Why did? Why can't it smell like a pleasant place? Why can't it look differently? Why can't we ensure that their dining experience is something that we would want ourselves? And I mean, that way of thinking, you know, propels people like yourself. Who, I, I again, before this episode, I really knew very little about you, but I love meeting people who started from the bottom, kind of the bottom, and worked their way up, because they're not being handed a silver platter. You're making decisions based on the knowledge and information that you have. But getting back to the design process, so how did you implement that? What, what exactly did you do? Well, the, the key thing is, uh, you know, I'm not uh, uh, independently wealthy, so I have to uh, put a package together uh, for mm -hmm. my investors. And I always say this, you always want to tell a story like the way they want to hear it, not like the way they want to they want you they don't it's not like the way you want to say it always tell a story the way they want to hear it so when i speak to my investors you know deep in me i'm i'm concerned about my focus is care my focus is efficiency staff efficiency my focus is labor cost my focus is construction cost you know when you when you look at uh, a product uh the bigger the the biggest cost is your mortgage uh you know the buildings that i have that i own um i'm in uh, the mortgage is anywhere between uh, 70000 a month to $110,000 a month. So that's my biggest cost. The second biggest cost is my labor, right? So then you have other miscellaneous stuff. And the, the key thing is uh, to have to, when you engage with investors, uh, you really want to present, uh, you go on a package in such a way that because, again, investors are not, we need them. Uh, they're looking for a rate of return. And so you want to speak economics. And at the same time, you want to connect economics to care, to services, and everything that you provide. You know, most importantly, most very importantly, I think, is, is labor culture. Extremely important. Um, you know, at the Lantern Group, there are two things that are very important for us. You know, is, you know we are uh, uh, labor-centric, staff-centric, and client-centric. You know, what I felt is that if I treat my staff very well, then I don't have to worry about teaching them how to treat my, my clients. They will, they will do exactly how they treat them, uh, how I treat them, how I talk to them, how I, how I engage with them, creating that value. So, so before Let I Let me just jump this, in there. One, one quick thing there. I want to hear what you said. But I once said by a staff meeting that our residents are the second most important people, a group of people in the facility, and everyone got all upset. What do you mean? We're in long-term care. It's the residents, the residents. I said, no, let's be real. They're number two. Number one is the, the staff and the employees. And we can't just pay lip service to that. We have to actually mean it and take action to show that. So that if we treat our employees the way that they should be treated, then our residents will get the results that they get. Or put another way, um, you you know, if you go in the days when we used to fly on planes, um, you know, you, I, it annoys me to no end the fake stewardess smile, right? Uh, uh, again, that's their job. But at the end of the day, you can tell when it's forced. And, you know, I'd rather just be real with me. Like, you know, here I am doing my job. I've been doing this for 36 hours straight. At the end of my shift, you know, take your stupid pretzels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but the point is, you can train people to smile and they will smile when they remember the training or you can make them happy and they'll smile naturally genuinely authentically all the time and provide exemplary service you clearly yeah, sign absolutely. up to the second method that's clearly yeah, how you absolutely. guys run absolutely well the thing is you know there's this general belief that you build and they'll come right 
Um, I think, uh, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do is kind of like move away from that mindset, the mentality, you know, you build and people will come. And, and I, I don't want nursing homes. What I have uh, is assisted living and memory care. And uh, I don't want to house people. Um, I don't want to put them in locked units. See, mm-hmm. when, uh, when you come into our communities, I mean, this is, I got some pushback in the beginning because the, the, client, the staff, they had very valid concerns. And I said that the clients that live on the memory care side, you know, I want their units unlocked. The clients that live on the AL side, I want their units secure. So essentially they have a, a, a swab that they can use to get in and out. But I wanted my clients, my elderly on the, on the memory care side, on the cognitive care side, to f- have free access to the building. So there was this fear about, you know, elopement, losing them and, and, and mm-hmm. things like that, uh, uh, managing and directing and guiding them. But I felt that the most important thing is to, you know, I got I have to keep my clients active, my elderly active. Yes, there is a cognitive decline. Just because the, there's a cognitive decline, it doesn't mean that they have to be secure and, 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 and uh, kind of like cornered to a, a certain space. So bef- when I started designing the building, I was looking at everything very, very closely. Um, how far my caregivers have to walk, how many steps they have to take before they can be in a client's unit. So when I start designing, I gotta, I gotta create the deficiency because I don't want uh, a caregiver running from one corner of the building all the way to another corner of the building. Because so even from a design standpoint, you start taking care of uh, your, your caregivers. Uh, you want them to walk less. And I learned the hard way. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I really messed up my design and where my caregivers have to walk quite a bit. Um, so now when you look at the design, the, the key thing is I did a lot of research and what I found was we as humans, we breathe life into each other. You know, we are social animals. You know, another reason because of the pandemic, you're, you're see, we are seeing a decline you know, among our clients and also caregiver, our, our staff. And also we as humans, you know, we're going through a lot of mental you know, uh, challenges mental health issues it's because we as humans no matter how how much we are on the device we as humans we like to control our movement our thoughts and at the same time we breathe life into each other and it's so important to you know have think of all those elements when you start designing the building so when you walk into my building and it the space was very designed with purpose okay so one of the things I realized was as you get older, not, not necessarily when you have Alzheimer's disease, as you get older, mm-hmm. more so when you have Alzheimer's or certain types, certain forms of dementia, you'd retrogenesis, which means that you revert back to your early childhood days. Dr. Barry Reinsberg, you know, has a, his, his theory, it's his theory is called theory of retrogenesis. You revert back. So when they, when, when folks start reverting back, you know, we all revert back, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm saying, you know, that I, when I meet my friends, you know, you know, from my childhood days, it's amazing when I just see them, they become a source of memory that I never, ever thought or remembered. But when I see them, memories that were created when I was with them, you know, it starts coming back to them. I'm able to, you know, there's something called a trace back theory, may a memory trace back theory. You're able to trace back and able to pull mem- poor older memories uh, back in. So I feel a, a lot more excited, happy, engaged. See, when, when, you, when you ask my children about me, they'll give you a, a certain description of who I am. But if you ask my childhood friends who I am, they'll give you a very, very different description. The reason being is as we continue to grow and evolve with responsibilities, with marriage, with, you know, uh, uh, with getting married, having children, we change, our personalities change. However, however, as we start getting older, we kind of slowly reverting back to the early childhood days. So I felt that why create an environment that, that they will not be able to relate to? Why don't I take them to 1920s? Why don't I take them to 1930s? And, and where I build homes, I mean, it doesn't really cost much to be very honest. 
you know, the way you do a, a typical stick build or a, or a, a structural build, you know, it, 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 and the way I did, the, the, when you look at my buildings, you go like, my gosh, you would have spent a lot of money. Not really. I, I'm very cost conscious because I got to keep my mortgage down so that I can continue to be affordable. Um, but the, the key thing is new mentality, new mindset, you know, new approach. Um, try to find a way to move away from you know, the way we did things and the way we're comfortable with. So I just felt that what if I bring natural elements inside, which is the sunlight? You know, if I'm not able to bring the natural light inside, can I create a virtual sky ceiling? Can I tie the virtual sky ceiling to the weather cloth and figure a way to increase the brightness, dim it as we go through the day? So essentially by doing that inside, I'm able to reset one's you know, physiological or biological clock. When you go into when you go into a casino, you know, you don't know what time it is, but it goes so dark, you gotta look at the clock. But now if I when I create some when I bring the outside inside, my clients are using the environment to figure out what time it could be. You know, they're not walking, you know, down the uh, hallway seven in the evening asking for breakfast, especially, you know, you see that with folks with dementia, certain forms of dementia. So can I use the environment to modify their behavior? Uh, mm -hmm. We brought in uh, water features, you know, two molecules of hydrogen, one molecule of oxygen. When the water hits the ground, you know, it splits, it creates more negative ions and less positive ions. So we know, you and I know that negative ions are good for us. It helps us relax. You know, so creating, bringing those water features in, you know, using color combinations that are very natural. See, the colors that you and I go, no matter what, what part of the world we come from, we grow up with natural colors. You know, the sand, the water, the sky, the grass, you know, a different variance, the stone color, the pebble, the marble. So trying to stay very close to those natural colors, colors will also help with you know, with, with us, you know, help with you know, offering a sense of uh, serenity or tranquility. Um, so little, little things we paid attention to. Uh, there's something called as uh, perception in action, perception in action. So uh, I always ask my, uh, my, my staff, hey, when you see a gentleman who's very well-dressed, you know, beautifully, you know, groomed um, at a gas station pumping gas. And if I ask you to guess who he is or what he does for a living, what would you say? And they said, well, he's a marketing executive or he's a lawyer. But, in, you know, that judgment, that they're, they're making the judgment based on a perception, right? Past experiences. But in reality, the gentleman could be a car mechanic who actually is on his way to church or to a funeral home. So when we start creating environments that will, you know, create opportunities for to bring past experiences and perceptions, I, I know in, in in essence humanizing the environment. That's a, mm -hmm. that's that's the right word. Uh, you know, then you're able to. I, I think we'll be able to modify the clients' behaviors, uh, the way they engage, the way they. You know, I always say uh, functional behaviors. I call them functional mm -hmm. behaviors and dysfunctional behaviors. Um, so I felt that you know using environment, I'll be able to help our our elderly live a life to their preference, to their desire. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, I have some technical questions, but even before that, so you're talking to investors. I know I, I jumped in before. You need to paint to them a story that's going to make sense for them, and they're going to see the return on investment. So to them, probably, if they were to see the pictures of what you want to build before it's built, which you probably showed them, they'll be like, oh my gosh, how much is this going to cost? It's cool that maybe you'll get better patient care and... You know, let's be honest, the investors, like you said, they, they, they care, their job is to, you know, get a good ROI. How did you, how did you talk to them about cost? Uh, two things. How did you talk to them about cost containment? And additionally, did you promise to them any increase in revenue? Or did you tie it somehow the results that you might see to increase revenue so that you can speak their language? And again, I understand that your goal is not just, you know, the finances. Your goal is actually to provide that level of living which they deserve but when you're talking strictly to money people it's so convenient to have this hypothetical question because now we don't have to be the bad ugly money people we'll make the investors the bad <laughs> ugly people but were you able to tie revenue to this as well 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think the most important thing is, you know, we need investors and, uh, you know, some may see them as, okay, those, you know, they're bad people, all they're, uh, you know, need is a return on their investment. But again, you know, in today, in today's world, uh, you need money. You need money to get things done. You know, um, mm-hmm. uh, yes, you will have a good, you have a good objective. Uh, you have a vision, you have a mission, you know, so you want to make an impact. You want to you know, impact the larger good, uh, influence the greater good. To do all that, we need money. And I think that's important. I think, uh, so money is really not a bad thing when you become greedy. I think that's when, you know, it, it, it turns into something else. Uh, so when you walk, talk to my, when I spoke to my investor, I'll tell you how, what I did. So essentially, uh, this may sound very, very uh, um, I mean, uh, crude by me saying this, but see, our cash flow as a business entity, right? Who, what is our cash flow? Who is our cash flow? Our cash flow is our elderly clients, right? So our sales and marketing people, they are pretty much, they run the revenue, they drive the revenue. Mm-hmm. The rest, all, they're all cost centers. You know, I'm a cost center. I could be the CEO of the corporation, but I'm a cost center. You know, I'm consuming. But it's my sales and marketing staff. In a nursing home, you've got sales and marketing, and you also have your MDS nurse. That maximizes uh, uh, reimbursement. So the, the key thing is, when, when I'm always looked at, okay, I've always felt that if you address people's pain, you don't have to worry about the bottom line. You have to find a way to address people's pain effectively, like the way they prefer, the way they desire, and the, and the way they would accept it, and they would, they would embrace it. So the key thing is, what is, what, you know, when it comes to my business, what is their pain? Aging, fear of aging. What happens when I move into a building like this? Where, where am I going? What's going to happen to me? I gave up my independence. I was living in a 2,400 square foot home. Now I'm, I'm confined to a, maybe a 200 feet or maybe a 400 feet square foot uh, space. So the key thing is our cash flow is our clients. I have to create an environment. I have to create programs and services to help them live longer and live healthier, right? So when I go to my investor, I'm saying, okay, this is what the Lantern program would do. will help them live longer, will live healthier. By me creating these spaces, by, cre- by having a program called Jive, by having a program called Swayas, by having you know, other support services, it's going to prolong their life. So to them, life is cash flow. So there's that consistency you know, for them. So anything that I do, to me, you know, money is important to run my show. But as a caregiver, my focus is the care, the services, the program. But at the same time, I also have to speak to my investors who's going to be funding me. And uh, so I got to speak their language. So to them, I always tie the cash flow to me able to help my clients live longer and healthy. Amazing. So I want to point out something. I think you're being too humble here. It's, it's uncommon to have a CEO that genuinely can dance at both weddings if you will that genuinely can speak uh to both uh to both end users in a way in a meaningful way meaning that you genuinely get the care aspect you genuinely understand and really want the best for the residents that almost if if money was irrelevant you would still be doing all these things if you got paid like the therapist that you were you would still be very happy walking up and down the halls and seeing smiling residents uh, not asking for breakfast at 6 p.m. because they see the lights are dimming. Um, <clears throat> they're not confused about where they are because they're in some sort of outdoor area. They're not restricted. They don't feel like prisoners. They have engaging activities. And you listed a whole slew of programs that we could probably have a separate conversation about each one of them. We don't have the time today, but I can already tell from this conversation, I'm sure each one is as detail-oriented, thought-provoking, and not a marketing splash to fool the case managers that we're actually different uh, from the nursing home down the street so that we can make more money. Um, I used to be frustrated with programs, quote unquote, that were created solely for the purpose of differentiation. And the residents are maybe not always thought about when you know, we have this program, that problem. What does this program exactly mean? And without, without going down that road, but the point is that you genuinely understand the care aspect 
Um, and not just in the stand, you're a part of the care aspect. You're not just a cost center. Um, and at the same time, you generally understand the finances and the business center as well. And therefore, you can have a, an intelligent conversation. And it's, you're not going to tear your heart out when you say that living longer and healthier makes you more money and you save on expenses of not having residents in the facility when they're out at the hospital. And all you get is a bed hold, if, you get, if that much. And you may lose them completely. So ha having someone in that role that really understands both ends, a lot of times you'll have someone who just understands the finances, then there's the friction between them and the people who work for them because all you care about is dirty money. And, you know, and, but we, you know, we're getting paid much less than you. We work harder than you. We actually care. So just because you want us to do this, we don't care about your new rules and your new regulations. You're going to make a beautiful facility with sunlight and all this. Yeah, that's probably because somehow you're making more money. You don't really care. And the other way around as well, investors will tune you out because you're the clinician and scrubs who, unfortunately, they don't really care about them that much. That's not their job. Their job is to finance uh, business tools, business vehicles that can that can bring in ROI for their money or other people's money if they're managing other people's money. So really getting both sides to understand this fully is critical. I, even And this is, I'm going to speak now as an administrator for any administrator. I used to try to do this. I don't know if I was as successful as you are. But I'll tell the, the staff, our goal is to make money. We want to make a lot of money. We're a for-profit facility. We want to make a lot of money. And I just say the money, the word money a lot of times to make everyone really uncomfortable, especially if you're talking to clinicians. And they're like, oh, what do you mean money? Who cares about money? It's all about the care. I said, really? It's all about the care? So do you mind if we suspend your paycheck for the next six months? Oh, I need money. Oh, who cares about money? It's all about the care. Oh, well, you need the I need the money to pay my bills so that I can provide the care. I'm, okay. We're in the same place. The more money we have, the more profitable we have, the better care we can provide. In order to make that money, we have to provide this good care. So it's okay, and I think it's, it's critical and it's important for clinicians to understand that money is a real factor, and, and that's a challenge for anyone in any management role um, in healthcare, but specifically in nursing homes uh, to do. And then the other side is when you're on the CEO level and you're taking money from investors, you want to show them they should understand to some level that care is not zero. Care is, care is a variable because it relates to bottom line, uh, you know, the ROI they'll get on their investment. But also maybe, you know, maybe you can influence them a little bit to understand that investing in making uh, seniors' lives better, more productive, giving them a reason to live might be, uh, might be better than Bitcoin, even if, the, even if the revenue was the same. I think it's probably a better financial investment anyway, but that's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. So I think that just the fact you can bridge that gap, just that point, um, I think it should be a fantastic example for others. Uh, if you don't mind, I, want, I see the time is, we could do this all day because uh, this is really fascinating. Um, but let if we, I want to know how this worked out. How many facilities actually have this type of design um, from the article that I showed before? Um, how is it working out for residents? How is it working for staff? Are there were there unforeseen challenges, unforeseen uh, rewards that you didn't expect? How did it all pan out? Well, I think uh, when we rolled out this design for the first time in 2011, you know, we were way far ahead, and so we got some, you know, uh, some pushback, and uh, you know, which is fine. I enjoy that. I, you know, it, to me, that motivates me to move. You know, keep doing what I do. Um, but I, 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 I think a year, I think, after, um, you know, I personally felt that I was not going anywhere uh, with the design. And I, uh, we started seeing some, um, you know, some, we started having some challenges. And again, this was a new design and things like that. So we had a lot of people come in, tour the building because it looked different. It's beautiful, you know, and it looks like Vegas, you know, but they didn't really... We were not able, we were not doing a good job. I shouldn't say, I always take responsibility. We were not, I was not doing a good job explaining to my staff what we built and how we, we built it and the purpose. You know, the, the key thing is, you know, one of the reasons why people live up to 100 years of age without diseases is they all have a sense of purpose. Um, and uh, so I have, it's important for me to create a sense of purpose in my, you know, with my, among my staff. And also understand that well, I create a sense of purpose even for my clients. So we had some challenges in the beginning, 
So six, seven months later, I said, you know what? Let's not worry about the program. Let's not worry about the service. You know, let's just market the building. It's pretty beautiful. Let's keep filling it, you know? And because and I was, I, I felt like I was, I was not getting anywhere. Um, and uh, that's when my uh, caregivers, you know, they called me and said, we'd like to meet with you. And uh, I said, sure. And they, they said that we heard that you're thinking about changing, uh, changing the direction. I said, yeah, I was thinking about because I just felt that maybe I, I created a, a burden on you guys. And they said that, Gene, absolutely not. We have seen our clients, especially the clients with Alzheimer's disease, they do very well. We are, they're able to, we are able to get people to bathe again. We're able to get people to wash their face again. And uh, please do not do, walk away from this program. So I think that was very encouraging. And I, that really kind of like, see, the thing is, as a CEO, sometimes you're in a very lonely place. And, you know, you, you need that motivation from your staff to tell you that, hey, attaboy, you're doing a good job. We are with you. You know, let's keep moving forward. You know, like anyone, you know, we're also humans when we need that level of support and help. And I, I think that's, that's when they, when I heard that, that's it. I said, there's no way. So that really kind of like propelled me forward. And uh, they felt that, um, so we have a section in our building uh, where the, this particular, when we started in 2011 at the time, uh, the, it was new. So it was a little bit more expensive. Uh, and I shouldn't say expensive, it's a little bit more than, you know, living, residing in another part of the building. And so when families, you know, moved their loved ones and when they felt that they were not able to afford, you know, they love the program, they love the design, they love everything. They, they made, a, make a, made a conscious decision to move their loved one to another uh, um, space, another section of the building. We felt, we saw that the clients started rapidly declined. Wow. You know, when I said rapidly, I meant like, you know, you, you could, they were in this particular space, we felt that, especially when it came, came to Alzheimer's disease, we were able to slow the progression of the disease. Wow. Um, when we moved them away from this space, we call it the, the name of the program or the design is called SWAYUS, S-V-A-Y-U-S. When, when we felt that they were declining in spite of activities, in spite of exercises, in spite of other things. So we, you know, I, I, I just felt that, you know, maybe this is something that I need to continue to build upon. So I started getting a lot of feedback from my families, my staff, letting me know what are the challenges that, that, that they had with that design in 2011. And we made mm -hmm. some changes uh, as we continue to move forward. So we have three buildings in Cleveland, Ohio, east of Cleveland. Um, and I'm getting ready to build a, a newer building now, uh, but it's a different program. Um, I, I developed a program called the Centenarian. Uh, the, you know, the word Centenarian means you 100, right? 100. So I was really um, inspired by, I was at a NIC conference you know, a few years ago, I believe it was 2016 or 2017. I heard Dan, the gentleman who created this concept of Blue Zone, again, not the concept, but who are really researched on Blue Zone. When I heard him speak and I said, wait a second, can I create a virtual Blue Zone? And uh, so blue zones, there are about seven blue zones in the entire world. You know, in our country, there's a blue zone in California, uh, Loma Linda, California, where people live up to 100 years of age without any diseases. And so he studied, you know, why people live up to 100 years of age. And I just felt that, it can, can, I, can I bring, create a program around the blue zone? So now the next design uh, that I'm designing, in fact, I'm meeting with my architect tomorrow. This is the fourth drawing that we are doing. Can I create a space where I can enable people to live up to 100? I also realized that, you know, how children, younger generation, bring smile to the elderly. You know, as I'm getting older, I kind of, you know, I like hanging out with my folks, you know, my age. But I'm also, I like, enjoy, I enjoy hanging out with my younger staff, too, because they are full of ideas. And, and, and the key thing is, for, for me, I need to be radically open-minded, not you know, dismiss them because they're 20 years younger than me. You know, they are different. They're a different generation. I'm a Gen X. I'm, I'm, uh, we have a Gen Z. I'm getting ideas from Gen Z, from the millennials. And I'm trying to, you know, expand uh, the operation uh, to create opportunities where people can live, you know, up to 100 years of age. I said, you know what? Watch. I think maybe we, sh I should, we should continue to have assisted living and memory care, but we also have to create designs and opportunities 
where people from different walks of life, different generations are able to come and live, you know, in a 20 acre or a 25 acre or 15 acre space where if I can create a green zone, a, a smart zone and bring in those slants that are responsible for enabling people to live up to 100, maybe one of the things I can do is prevent people from actually getting the disease. Diseases like Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. So that is our new model. We hope to launch it, uh, break, we, have, we broke ground. We hope to launch it uh, in a year or so. I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, I could tell. <laughs> no, kind of excited about you. I'm super excited. But this is what this is what makes you uh, smile. This is what bring, you know. I can hear it and see it. You know how important this is. This is to you. Um, these don't sound like I know you. Uh, if, let's see. Retrofitting it is. Are any of these programs? Um, okay, I have too many questions at the same time. Cut. Uh, question is like this: If I own a nursing home today or someone else owns a facility or anyone, even someone's a, a, you know, has decision-making abilities to make structural changes to their existing space. Are there ways to dramatically change um, an existing typical uh, dreary long hallway um, space, you know, long grandfathered in hallway um, into something like this, have have you done that, or all the things, all your projects so far, the three places that you did, were there was that all new construction? The the last two were new construction. the The first one was a renovation. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, answering your question, yes, it can be done. Um, typically, you know, you you walk into our buildings, uh, the building like this one particular building um, close to my corporate office has a twenty foot ceiling. Um, then uh, a building in Saybrook has uh, a 12-foot ceiling. The building in Madison, I believe, has a 10-foot ceiling. Um, so, and a, and, a, and a very narrow uh, corridor. Mm -hmm. um, responding to your question, yes, it can be done. It doesn't matter how old the building is. The, the key thing is you, you want to make sure that anything, any add-ons you do that you follow the fire code, you know, the, the, the width and the inches and things like that. Uh, but it can be done. Um, I've talked to many providers about getting it done. Uh, they were very excited um, and they want to do it. I think uh, COVID kind of like, you know, slowed things down, but it mm -hmm. can be done. Yes. Can you bring in natural light inside? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there are ways you can bring natural light. If you're not able to bring natural light, you can take the ceiling tiles down and put the virtual sky ceiling and you can put um, uh, LED lights behind it. So, yes, there's so much you can do, yeah. Uh, just as you're speaking, I'm remembering um, when I was an administrator of a building here in Massachusetts, One, of my, I think it was my very first building, we actually walked with, let's see if I remember, Dr. Paul Rea. So Dr. Paul Rea wrote the, uh, the regulations for what the definition of a dementia-certified uh, unit is. I, again, maybe just for Massachusetts, uh, for sure for Massachusetts. And we actually walked with him, and he showed us I guess it was not from a marketing standpoint. This was for regulatory compliance. That you cannot say that you're you have a dementia unit. You cannot put that on your marketing material. Again, I'm, it might not be just Massachusetts, but for sure here you cannot, unless you fit certain uh, criteria. And a lot, most of it is within construction. So he actually showed us, you know, what not to have on the floor, what you can have on the floor. You can't have a shiny floor. Can have uh, black spaces because to them that appears to be like a, a hole. What the end of the hallway should look like. How much outdoor space you have. What does the outdoor space look like? And, remember, and a lot of it had to do with lighting in the ceiling. How bright it has to be when it changes during different times of the day. I don't remember all the regulations. But I think that the critical takeaway uh, that I'm taking from here. And I really hope if there are other operators listening. Or if anyone listening who, who can influence operators. We come from the wrong standpoint. We is just, I guess, my personal experience and others that I've seen in the industry. A lot of times we start from, because census is such a pressure, and specifically nursing homes, um, because staffing is such a challenge, because survival is such a challenge, right? I think the average census is like 75% these days in nursing homes. So COVID has really taken a, a terrible situation and made it almost unbearable. You know, and many nursing homes have closed. So 
so a lot of times we start so close to the ground, right? So we want to have a dementia program. So the way we look at it is not how can we create the best possible experience for our residents, right? No one goes into this industry because they don't care about residents. They go there because they care. And that's why they choose to do this as opposed to commercial real estate or something else. Um, so of course they care. Otherwise they wouldn't do this. But at the same time, they start from what's the cheapest way I can get a qualify. This is why I did that walkthrough, right? This is what the company was trying to do. We wanted a dementia program. We had a, a, a very sophisticated dementia program. We had, you know, stage one, stage two, stage three. We had different units. We had different programs for each one. Um, our, you know, we had a dementia. I forget what we called her, but someone in charge of the whole program. We had a lot of details worked out, and we had fantastic outcomes. But we said we want to be dementia certified. Maybe we even got into trouble for saying there was dementia certified. So we wanted to go through it, and. But then we saw the cost and it was like, wait, how much money are we actually going to make? This is going to be significant enough, more than we thought. And, uh, you know, should we do it? Or really any program that we create. Okay, so here's the short of what I'm trying to say. Is what I'm learning from you in this conversation from a, um, whether you're looking at it from a care standpoint or a finance standpoint, and they must be married together in order to be successful, um, instead of looking at the shortest path to the greatest ROI, we need to have a pulmonary program. Okay, I want one pulmonologist to oversee seven facilities and come in every three months, and now we have a, pul a pulmonary program, and now let's announce that to the world and have our marketers and salespeople doing that. Instead of looking at things that way, let's look at actually changing results. Let's look at making significant investment if necessary, not stupidly. You know, we want to control our costs. We want to make sure that everything is done in the right way. But let's look at doing something maybe dramatically different, uh, maybe even expensive. It doesn't have to be expensive to be successful, but let's not rule it out because of that. And like you said before, let's look at dramatically changing the bottom line outcomes. Because if you could push an easy button, you push a button, and all of a sudden residents are living longer and healthier, everyone is going to be happy. The hospital is going to be happy. The regulator is going to be happy. The investor is going to be happy. And whatever your role is in, in all of this, you'll be happy as well. Because everybody wins when that happens. So instead of just taking like the short route and then cutting corners, but you know, because uh, here, one more point here is operators would dream to do what you're doing, but they're not doing it. Like everyone looks at it. I think that's one of the reasons why that post, I think what did I, I just wrote, like when I say the word nursing home, I think this is what my post was. When I say the word nursing home, an image, con you con immediately conjure up an image in your mind. Then I think I just wrote like, I bet it didn't look like this. And I put a picture of, from the article, something like that, or a link to the article. And everyone's, you know, had all, whatever, you know, it went crazy because that's not what people think. So I think to me, that is the key takeaway. And I just saw the time and I apologize, but way over time here. Um, if you have another couple of minutes, I know I wanted to, um, you, you have all these new programs that we can talk <laughs> about all day, but I know you mentioned before we went live about your latest project or one of your latest projects. Can you tell us a little bit about this new resources resource which you've created, um, how that came to be, and how people can take advantage of that? Oh, thank you. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, so, you know, I always feel that uh, I always felt that no matter what what situation we are in, there, there's always an opportunity. And I, you know, one of the things I teach my children and my staff is that when you look at a problem, see it as an opportunity. Don't look at it as, as, as a problem. If you look at, if you approach it as a problem, you'll never be able to, you'll never be able to be creative, step outside of the box and, and really address the problem because what's hap what happens is you become reactive to it because you, you mm -hmm. feel like you need to take care of it. So when, when COVID hit us, you know, uh, in March, um, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out, okay, where are we going to be at the end of the year? Okay, 20, end of 2021, 2022. Uh, is this going to be the new normal? Okay, from a, from a sales and marketing standpoint, I felt like we can't go into the hospitals. We can't go into, uh, we can't do any networking meetings. Uh, we cannot go into families' homes. Uh, but we always have been, one of the things I always tell my sales and marketing staff is don't sell, you know, Create a relationship, establish, you know, form a relationship, have them see you as a resource and 
you know, because when you start selling things very hard, you know, it may not work out. It may not pan out uh, long-term in a, in, a, in, a, in a nice way. Always give them all the information that they need, what they need. Don't provide more than what they need because sometimes we, we just can't process all the information. Give them good information and allow them and, and encourage them and show them the way to make a good decision. So that's always been my sales and marketing uh, model. And um, so I felt that, okay, we can't go anywhere. You know, at this point, the only way we can market and sell, either we go, you know, on TV or we go online. Then I started listening to what was going on in the technology world. Things that were supposed to happen 20 years down the road. Now we have to embrace it. It happened 20 years earlier. And I just felt that, you know, we need to we need to be that we have to be the ray of hope. We got to continue to hang on to the loudspeaker and keep telling, you know, informing them. And now since my sales and marketing staff, you know, they have some time, you know, I said, why don't we start an, our own platform where uh, you go on Facebook? You don't have to be fancy. Just I got them a, a nice uh, 10 Pro IP, uh, um, uh, I mean, iPad and got some lights and camp, uh, microphones and stuff like that. I said, you know, you, you, you're not able to engage with, uh, with your tours or, you know, people aren't coming in, but go on the superhighway and start, you know, broadcasting, start talking about you know, the pain, how to manage it, how to help people, start being that resource. So we started producing videos um, once a, one a week. So we started accumulating and, and we started, we made videos. It's not professionally made at this point, but in a way it is at this, you know, my, 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 my uh, staff really worked hard on it. We, we started bringing people that can be a great resource to consumers. I'm talking about a 20 year old, a 30 year old, a 40 year old, uh, or a 90 year old, you know, talking to grandparents, talking to parents, talking to adult children, talking to grandkids, provide them with knowledge and information. So we kind of started with that. And so we called it lanternracetv.com, lanternrace, race of hope, lanternracetv.com. So, you know, last year uh, in 2019, not 2020, 2019, uh, a young woman in her, I want to say in her late 40s, reached out to me and said that, uh, reached out to my EA and said that, hey, we heard about uh, Gene's work, you know, would love to chat with him. Can he come down and, you know, can you come down to uh, Colorado Springs or even get on the phone and talk to me? You know, you know, I was like, okay, it's going to be another thing because I get a lot of um, invitations from TV channels and reporters and journalists and stuff like that. Um, okay. This is people are just curious, want to know who I am, what I do for a living. I, I told Heather, my assistant at that time, Hey, you know, I'll jump on a phone call. And I got on a call and, um, you know, I listened to her and uh, she was very encouraging. And she told me that she had Alzheimer's and she's a dean of a college. And uh, that wasn't when down in California, now lives in Denver, uh, Colorado Springs. And uh, she was very encouraging. I, you know, I thanked her. So we were thinking about expanding in Denver um, we, in a partnership. We were helping, you know, like the way you would ask me, can we convert an old building? So we were going in to offer some design uh, uh, concepts and things like that. So it was me and Heather. So Heather said, hey, we're going to Denver. Colorado Springs is only about 90 minute drive. You know, let's go say hello to uh, Joanna. I was not very happy because to me, <laughs> I'll be very honest. And I, it was a very tight schedule. I was super busy. I had meetings back to back. And I said, no, I, I don't think I can square. She goes like, Gene, it, it, it'll make it, it's worth your time. Trust me, knowing you, what do you, what do you do, how you look at things, she'll make your day. So, you know, after a lot of kicking and screaming and whining, she dragged me, you know, to the Colorado Springs. And when I just sat there and listened to her, I went with no expectation. My thing was, I was going to say hello, hi to her. And then, you know, talk to her and leave. When I spoke to her, I have an individual sitting right in front of me that has Alzheimer's disease, that still is able to articulate the challenges, the, the, the wins that she has in life on a daily basis. You know, the, 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 the sorrow, the sadness. I said, my God, I need to tell Joanna's story to the entire world. 
it is so important because I felt that, you know, until then people thought I was an expert on building design. I was an expert on Alzheimer's. After listening to Joanna, I, I, I was nothing. I mean, I knew squat. I was like, my God, you know? And so we made a trip back uh, two months later and, uh, you know, very not, we were not professional. So we, we videotaped, uh, we interviewed her and she takes her through her story. And, you know, it's a love story. It's a very romantic story. You know, being a dean at a college and all of a sudden you're working in Bed Bath & Beyond or Walmart, trying to stock shelves and you just can't even stock shelf because you're getting fired. And, the, and how she met her now husband, it was, it was amazing. I just felt like, you know, for designers, for uh, realtor, for construction guys, for investors, for administrators, for caregivers, it's important to under, listen to Joanna's story because we can do so much and such simple things. And we know why we have a client um, that is constantly moving things around. You know, you have a TV on, on the wall and, and the client is very upset because she sees a black TV as a black hole. And, and, and they're taking down photographs, you know, families come in and when they see their loved ones, you know, moving stuff around, they're so upset and they're upset with us. How can you let my dad do this? You are supposed to be supervising and managing him. And, and when I listened to Joanna's stories, it made perfect sense why they do what they do. So I, I, I developed a document, uh, I shot, you know, 18 episodes. So it's a, it's kind of a funny story. So I went to Amazon I, and I presented it and they liked it. They said, well, well, we'll, we'll publish it. And then what happened was as we started going through COVID, you know, they started delaying the publication, uh, the publishing. Uh, at that time I said, you know what, you know, it's almost five, six months. I can't depend on others. You know, one of the things uh, with me is that this is my bad habit. My bad habit is, you know, if I feel, I always felt like I have to have, when I want to get things done, you know, especially with something you're doing, something crazy and something different, you know, I have to have complete control over it. If I have others control and dictate and guide how I need to do it, it never comes to the way, number one, never comes to fruition, never comes the way I want it. So when Amazon started delaying it, I said, I need to get this out. I need to get this out. I don't know how to do it. So I uh, reached out to my CIO, uh, who is my younger brother, who is almost 10 years younger than me. He's a millennial. And I said, we got to create a platform. And he said, well, let's create a platform. So that's how okra came into play. Uh, it is like, it's like a vegetable, but with an H, O-K-R-A-H.com. And we said, okay, we, so okra came into existence because we didn't want that platform to be just lantern focused we felt that there's nothing out there for consumers. You know, there's podcasts, video casts, shows that you do are for professionals, but there's no, I didn't, I didn't see any good information, not forget about good or bad, any information for consumers. And I said, can I create a platform and we continue to bring guests in and really educate the, not just the county, the state, the entire country, the entire world, about elderly care, about dementia, Alzheimer's, bring in professionals, bring in attorneys, really, really, you know, this becomes a platform of information. And we have to give, we, we cannot, we don't want to be charging anyone anything. It becomes, you know, like a YouTube, like a content base for consumers. Can I create a platform that's a combination of YouTube and Amazon? So we came up with 100 videos now. We are working on uh, we have we're um, reaching out to different uh, filmmakers, so we're going to have films that we will host. Uh, that will be you know you have to pay a dollar or two dollars to watch the movie. Uh, so really taking it to the next level, um, where kind of use the technology. Everything was so forced upon us over the last nine ten months. You know how do we take advantage of you know what we have, and that's how Okra came into play. Well, that's fantastic. Um, it, you're not the only nursing home that had the same struggle, but you actually took your struggle and actually created something fantastic from it. Um, I, I only had a chance to look at it, you know, when, when you showed it to me a few minutes ago. Um, it definitely looks like a fantastic platform. I would encourage our viewers, or if you're listening to this later on the podcast, to head on to okra.com. That's O-C-R-A-H.com. And it's to, okay, I think. I think it's okay. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. See that? <laughs> OKRAH.com. Imagine if you go to OC. No, OKRAH.com. Thank you for correcting me. Um, 
and really to ch to check out and watch some of the videos there and more importantly to get this full perspective to have that aha moment that that you just explained to us gene you know before when you went down to joanna's house and you had her tell you the story when you forgot about the 90 90 minute drive and it was it was just like you know let, you know how could you not feel the pain of a successful professional dean of a college that could barely keep an entry-level position because of this illness and if we can do things to help her out to you know to slow down the process or at least ha help her manage the symptoms really changes things around so gene we went way over time and we could probably do this for another four hours um I don't think I've ever done such a long episode. But first of all, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for coming on the Nursing Home Podcast. Um, to listen to this episode or past episodes uh, and future episodes of the Nursing Home Podcast, you can head on over to thenursinghomepodcast.com, and this will be there shortly. Thank you, Gene. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Shmuel. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.